0: Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Burnerport Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network.
1: <laughs> and I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, you know, we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We're talking real football, spring football. Guys, tackling That's not real out the football. Don't
0: say that. Don't say that. It's, it's not real football.
1: It's more than it's real football, football that's seven on
0: seven. It's still Your football. obsession, Your obsession with spring football knows no bounds, sir. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to hear you call this real football. It pains me to even discuss
1: it. We're, we're spending six weeks discussing it, previewing I
0: know, I know.
1: all 12 Pac-12 teams. And most of the time we're previewing. They're actually a little bit of a recap because they're just getting Football started, but we did uh, this week. We're going to cover Utah and we're going to cover Arizona. We're just going in order as these teams come through. So we got to talk some ASU and Stanford last weekend. Now we're going to focus on Utah and Arizona. So we'll do two per week. And just as these practices start, uh, both those programs started last week. There's more starting this week. I think as of right now, David, there's eight teams already started spring football. So we'll get to all of them. You have we'll, to be
0: so excited about that. Yes. You're just like riveted. You're just like, let me see those spring reports. I want to see which guys look good
1: without even shoulder pads
0: on. Cause they're in the first week of spring. Exactly.
1: Well, two weeks. In, so, yeah, I mean, we'll every, every week we're going to get two more teams and we'll just get more and more juicy information about all these programs. And then, and I kept the PAC 12, I got sling TV still. I'm keeping the PAC 12 network. Is it for the basketball stuff? no. It's so I can watch all the spring football games. That's what I want to see. So that's. You got to love it, David. Come on.
0: Yeah, man. No, you don't. No. You don't. You <laughs> well, really way, to don't. Sell,
1: what,
0: way to sell our show. Um, well, I think one thing that I'm really good at is marketing. Like marketing yes. this show. Um, You know, making it something that's really, uh, you know, palatable for everybody. I think that's really my talent.
1: Yeah, you're very talented at that. Well, if. If people want to contact us, especially after the uh, endorsement that David gave our show and what we're talking about over the next, uh, I guess, t- this week and four more, PAC 12 Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. If you'd rather call or text us, we got a text to read today. 424 678 is the number. You can tweet us at PAC 12 Podcast. The website is PAC 12 Podcast.com and you can subscribe. And rate us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and iHeartRadio and all those places you can get podcasts. Please leave us some kind of review. Five stars are awesome. We love to we get got your. We, we got get, some. Ooh, so we got to hear from David on those then. All right.
0: Uh, this is from uh, 503. Decent. Five stars. Since you guys asked for it, I guess I'll give you five stars. Ryan, I almost made this a three to four star rating since your Trojans took Dante Williams from my ducks and sounds like they're already reaping the benefits on the recruiting trail. Hopefully that means another year of clay. Dave, I don't even know what to say about the Bruins. Definitely could have used Dante, though. LOL. I wouldn't have even been mad about losing him to the Bruins. I wonder what that says. Maybe that they're just so bad that it doesn't matter. I don't know, Uh, but great stuff, guys. Listen every week and appreciate you guys going strong throughout the offseason. We got one from Flick Daddy. Five star effort is the subject line and then in the body out of a possible 10 stars. Uh, Ryan tries. Uh, Dave thinks he's both smart and funny. The emotional tone calls to mind the coal shoveling crew on the Titanic. Viva the Pac-12. All right. The I like it. I like it
1: because we are steering.
0: We are we are powering this thing into an iceberg. Yes. All right. And this is from um, I think the initials would be badass motherfucker. Ninety five from the P Ooh. Um, subject line, a podcast that hits all emotions. Uh, I won't dive into all levels of emotions, but give you a taste, a tease, if you will. So I won't spoil it for you. Laughter. Ryan and David bring a yin-yang approach to their teams, philosophies, outlooks, and team-slash-game predictions. They bring it all together with a comedic style and mix in some good questions from fans. The offseason is a treat if you like mixing off-topic and the off-the-wall comparisons to all things the Pac-12 and football. I don't want to bruin it for you. A uh, little misspelling there. He meant to say ruin, but he put a B. Uh, but binge listen. You won't be disappointed. Trust. Having guest writers recruit specialists and professionals on the show discussing and giving knowledge and inside information of their programs recruiting in the Pac-12. Anger. Uh, Champagne Larry Scott, no words needed. For me being a USC fan, it is Ryan reminding and reporting of past and current decisions, situations, and outcomes from USC brings out anger. David trolling USC and adding fuel to the fire makes you want to punch his beard off of his face. (laughs) Wow. He will he will do a politician approach and never bring up UCLA scandals, but reflect them like a jaded and scorned girlfriend. But then there is the feeling sorry for him and having to follow UCLA and their lack of success and failures makes him a guy you could have a beer with. Um, looks like okay, yeah, uh, maybe even have to pay for it since he is a UCLA grad. Uh, but fans of other teams in the conference don't fret; there is not one team that doesn't get a pass and gets covered well. Everyone gets the good and the bad. It's like the song from the facts of life. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of the Pac 12. The facts of the Pac-12. I know invite and leave the rest of the emotions for you. I now invite and leave the rest of the emotions for you listeners to connect, experience, and figure out on your own, and either share them here and rate them or email, call in, or text the podcast with your questions, emotions, and psychiatrist bills from knowing and learning about Champagne Larry Scott and maybe your program you follow. That was all one sentence. Uh, cheers to Ryan for making it all happen and the hard work and for David for just being there and a voice and a beard thanks for the past episodes and hopefully many more to come beautiful lengthy
1: review thank you everyone for the five stars yeah that was great I feel I gotta play this
2: the truth is we all
0: know Champagne Larry likes to roll large
1: right (laughs) yeah he mentioned
0: Champagne Larry a couple times so and we know how many new listeners we get in the off season
3: it's not
1: Um. (laughs) it's tough the off season you know it's uh, I don't think it's a pro- it's because of our our product. I don't think it goes down in the off season. It's equally bad during the season and in the off season. <laughs> but <laughs> but there's you know there's not as much interest. Maybe not everyone in the world loves spring football like I do, and I couldn't imagine why when one of the co-hosts is is talking about it like it doesn't mean anything. So you know why why would they want to tune in? But, well,
0: so my problem with it with trying to like really get up for it is that it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It never does. You hear about all these scheme changes that happen, uh, and like so often nothing actually comes of it. Especially if it's a failing coaching staff changing like a defensive or offensive scheme in an offseason, and then you get to the season and it's the same crap. Just the same crap. Yeah. It doesn't matter it, if there's three guys with their hand down or four, it's gonna be the same awful crap.
1: It will be. Um All right. Well, let's see. So oh, we also have our Reddit page. So go to Reddit.com. Slash R Slash Podcast of Champions and uh, jump in there in the discussion. We're sort of slowly building that up. I think by the time it's good that we kind of start it now. By the time the season rolls around, I think it'll be a lot more active, and we'll get that, that get that going too. So, but yeah, that's how you get a hold of us. So we're going to talk with two different people today. Dan Sorensen, he's the UteZone.com publisher covering Utah, and we'll also talk to Jason Shear. Uh, he's the Wildcat Authority publisher covering. Arizona. So both those programs started spring football last week, and we're going to start off by talking with Dan. All right, we're going to talk some Utah Utes spring football with Dan Sorensen. Does a great job covering the Utes for UteZone.com. He's the publisher over there. Follow him on Twitter at D Sorensen. We want to talk to Dan. What's up, Dan? How are you?
3: Doing well. How are you guys doing? I
0: can't complain. You know, just living the dream. Um, <laughs> you know, spring ball starting. So we're a weekend for Utah. They started on March 3rd. Is that right?
3: Correct. Yes.
0: March, March 3rd. March 2nd. March 2nd. March
3: 2nd, are right. I, I can't count these days.
0: Whatever. It started on a day. We know that for a fact. It started on one of the days of the week, ended in a Y. Uh, they're now about a weekend. Um, I think one of the biggest storylines for me watching this from afar Is Who's going to take over at quarterback? Um, I know there was some odds maker who had odds on Tyler Huntley winning, I think, the Heisman this year. Um, Obviously, that's not going to happen because he is not in school. So I thought that was interesting. But um, what uh, what are you looking what are you seeing right now um, out of the quarterback battle? um, And who do you see emerging?
3: Yeah, um, any bet on Tyler Huntley winning the Heisman this year is a very bad bet. You might as well just <laughs> write the money on fire. You'll get more entertainment there. Um, yeah, so Utah, I think that's definitely the big question mark on offense is, is what they do to replace Tyler Huntley. And to a lesser extent, Zach Moss, but Huntley really was the emotional heart and soul of that Utah offense last year that had kind of a breakout season in the Pac-12 um, really right now it's, it's a, a two man race. So Utah brought in a grad transfer from South Carolina, Jake Bentley he started for three years in the sec, you know, he put up 500 yards a couple of years ago against Clemson. He's a guy that's, uh, he was a little bit up and down at South Carolina, but when he was on, he was one of the better quarterbacks in that league and, and, and really showed that, you know, he can, he can move an offense, especially against really high powered defenses. And so Bentley is in, he was hurt last year. He's, he's learning the playbook. He's learning the terminology. He's fighting for the spot. And then, of course, there's Cameron Rising, who was a transfer from Texas that sat out last year. And to Rising's benefit last year, he was really tight at the hip with Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator, spent a lot of the, the home games at least in the booth watching Ludwig call the plays, ran the scout offense last year. And, and it's those two guys that are the odds-on favorites to, to win the job. Rising had the better week in week one. I think part of that was because he knows the offense so well. He's comfortable with the personnel. But really, he, he's a guy that showed that, you know, every bit of that four-star ranking that he had out of high school, that he's got a good arm, he can make the throws that you want, he puts good touch on the deep ball he's deceptive as a runner I think he's he's probably a better read option quarterback than Bentley is at this point Uh, but he and he's a guy that can really you know he he can hurt defenses either on the ground or with his arm and he had the better first week but Bentley you know when he gets caught up when he understands that offense I think that we're going to start seeing him make a real push for that starting job so it's one of the more interesting storylines in camp is watching those two compete I do not think anybody is going to win that job in spring camp. I think it's going to be the fall before we know. But I think regardless of who replaces Tyler Huntley, Utah is in pretty good shape. We know what Bentley brings to the table for the most part. And if, if Rising beats him out, then that means Bentley is Utah's floor. And, and, and that speaks good things to a Utah offense. It's got a good offensive line coming back and a really strong receiver core.
1: Dan, we forgot to play the sound before we started the interview. Hold on, Utah Utes. You get we're just, that we're,
0: we're such a solid operation here.
1: <laughs> We've come out of the gate, firing. Um, just throwing fastballs.
3: Yeah, it's the offseason.
1: One of the quick question on the quarterback situation: Jason Shelley made some news uh, this offseason where he was, you know, competing for the quarterback spot, but then tr- switched over to defense then entered the transfer portal. What happened with uh, Shelly?
3: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Shelly just decided that he wanted to be a quarterback. It it was pretty apparent, especially when they brought in Bentley, that Shelly just wasn't going to be a guy that was going to compete for that starting quarterback job. You know, Shelly did help Utah win the, the South Division a couple of years ago when when Huntley went down and and Shelley, you know, brought him to to wins over Oregon and Colorado to really help the Utes get over the hump and get that first division championship, he did some nice things as a quarterback, but he did have some some um, fundamental flaws in his game, especially when it comes to arm strength that I think Utah was wanting to go away from. So they, they offered him the chance to stay on the team and, and switch to defense, and Shelley was certainly a good enough athlete that he could have played defense, and I think he would have turned out to pretty, be a pretty decent safety in the Pac-12, but at the end of the day, he wanted to play quarterback, and, and so he decided to go somewhere where he could do it, and, and frankly, you can't fault a guy for that. He gave the Utah two or three years and I think he's leaving as a, as a grad transfer. He's close to it. And, and so, you know, he, he's going to go and, and, and chase what he wants. And I think he'll be successful wherever he goes.
0: Um, uh, sticking with offense just for a little bit. Um, the other guy that needs to be replaced is Zach Moss at running back. Um, I think he was the offensive player of the year last year in the Pac-12. So, you know, kind of a big deal. Um, looking at the options who could replace him, I know you've got Devin Brumfeld, you've got Jordan Wilmore, who do you p- foresee as being the number one option there?
3: Yeah, I think if it's my guess, I think Brumfeld's probably just a little bit ahead of everybody else. Uh, he certainly has more experience than anybody, both Brumfeld and, and Wilmore got carries last season, uh, Wilmore decidedly fewer carries than brum still did i i personally think that we're going to see a little bit more of a running back by committee this year to replace moss i mean to your point he was the pac-12 offensive player of the year last year he was the guy that when utah needed production they would go to him and, and 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 with 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 moss you know he he brought so much to the table, so they're not going to be able to replace him with just one guy. So I, I think we'll see Brumfield probably get most of the carries, but we should still see a pretty steady diet of Jordan Wilmore, perhaps T.J. Green, who's a junior running back out of out of Arizona. that uh, he's more of a speed guy and had a few carries last year, but didn't see a lot of action. And then we're gonna we might see uh, so, some some young guys step up. Mackay Bernard is a guy that. Put up big numbers in high school in Southern California a couple of years ago, and he red-shooted last year. Uh, he's going to get a chance to show what he can do. And, you know, they've got a couple of freshmen that are coming in in the, in the fall that might uh, throw their names in the mix. But really, I think it's probably Brumfield and Wilmore, and then everybody else fighting for whatever carries that third down or change of pace back gets.
1: Now, those are two big names on the offensive side of the ball, but I believe eight starters coming back. So, I mean, it should, you know, there's still a lot of production there. On the defensive side, not as much. I mean, there's some really big names that aren't there anymore. Bradley and I, Jalen Johnson, Lakey Fotu, uh, Julian Blackman. Uh, and this is a team that put, I think, nine guys in the NFL combine, like 13 starters total lost, and you know most of them on the defensive side. What's it looking like on the defensive side of the football this spring?
3: Yeah, nine defensive starters are gone. I suspect eight of them will be drafted and the other one will be in an NFL camp in, in, in the, some, somewhere trying to fight for a spot. So really, you, know, you look at Utah, and they, they've been known as a defensive team and as one of the better defensive teams in the Pac-12 since they joined the league, but you can't lose that type of talent and that type of production without having a major, major drop-off, and I do expect to see that. I still think that Utah has a chance with the talent that they've got in the program to be a top half of the conference defense and and it, that may not be saying so much either you know there were so many really pillowy soft defenses in the Pac 12 last year that I, I don't think that's a very <coughs> of, you know,
0: clear <laughs> sorry 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 i just i sneezed pillowy soft i like that
3: <laughs> yeah i mean but ucla weren't the only ones you know so uh so i i i do think that they're going to struggle and they're going to take their lumps front seven should be pretty good defensive line. Uh, they've got guys that had significant reps. Uh, they returned one starter, but there are two defensive tackles were guys that were very firmly in the rotation. They've got two others that are just behind them that look like they're going to be monsters as well. And you know, that should come to as a surprise to nobody that's been paying attention to Utah that, you know, they've got, defensive tackles coming out their ears and uh, mm-hmm. offensive uh, uh, or def- at defensive end replacing Bradley and I is going to be tough in terms of getting that sack production. You know, he, he, he put up such great numbers. And I think that we're, we're going to see some freshmen in the fall that will, uh, they had a couple of uh, freshman all Americans that they signed um, for the signing day class that I think will compete for that starting job uh, opposite Mika Tafua, who was a starter last year. Uh, Devin Lloyd is the the their main linebacker. Probably their best defensive player coming back. I think he had a great year last year as a sophomore. I expect him to put up huge numbers uh, as a junior this year. And then the secondary is, is where I think Utah is really going to take their lumps. They're replacing every single starter. The guy that we thought was going to be the starting free safety, R.J. Hubert, he tore his ACL in the Pac-12 title game. So, uh, you know, we might see a couple of freshmen, true freshmen safeties uh, during week one uh, for the for the Utes. Uh, and we've got a bunch of cornerbacks that we're looking at right now in the spring that don't have a lot of experience. There's definitely talent there, but there are guys that are going to have to learn and they're going to have to learn really, really quickly. I think Clark Phillips is the guy that, that fans that aren't really familiar with Utah will want to pay attention to, of course, very high profile recruit. Uh, Coming out of the signing, this last signing class, he was committed to Ohio State for forever and then flipped right at the last minute to the Utes. He's enrolled early. He's participating in spring. He looks really good. I think at the very minimum, he's going to be Utah's starting nickel this year. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of question marks in that secondary and a lot of work that needs to be done to get those guys game ready.
0: Um, looking at the that defensive back class that's leaving, um... I was, I was sort of blown away by this. I knew Javelin Guidry was fast. Um, dude ran a 4.29 at the combine and also threw up 21 reps on the bench. Were you blown away by that? Because I was fully.
3: I, I was a little surprised at the 21 reps on the bench. I thought that he'd probably get 17 or 18. You know, he's a strong guy. And you, when you see him, he's not that big. You know, He's only, what, 5'7"? Yeah, uh, no, but, not a huge dude. No, not at all. But but he's he's tough as nails, uh, and and he's always been really strong. And so that that wasn't a, a huge surprise. That four two nine, I think, was expected. I mean, the, the guy can just fly. And and we and and frankly, you know, he came out after his junior year, so he he was motivated. He knew that he was going to have to put up just a ridiculously stupid number in that 40 to get NFL teams interested because he was a junior and because of how small he is. And I think that that run has made him a little bit of money now.
1: Uh, Looking at the team overall, you know, this is a team that went to the Pac-12 championship game two years in a row. People look at the huge losses of production. Is that fair to say this team is definitely going to take a big step back or is there – Do you just feel overall by watching that first week of spring football that this is a team that can kind of keep that momentum rolling?
3: You know, I think you would have to have the reddest of red goggles on to say they're not going to take a step back. I personally think the offense is going to be really good. And we even with losing Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, there are players there. And I think that they're going to make adjustments in the scheme based on their strengths, that we might see a more efficient and more effective offense for Utah this year than even we did last year. And, and that, which is, which would be a development that they really need because the offense is going to need to carry the team. But, you know, will they compete for the PAC 12 South title? I mean, I think that depends on how well USC rebounds USC of course got, you know, the talent that they should win the division, and it's going to be interesting to see what ASU does with Jaden Daniels, and whether UCLA can take that next step up, and if those <laughs> guys, if they're not able to, <laughs> if they're not able to uh, to to do that, I think Utah is going to be in the mix. But when I, if if I'm looking at this team really objectively, I think that seven and five, eight and four is probably a really good season for them this year. And then they're setting themselves up for another run at the division and possibly the conference title the next year.
0: One thing that's notable that makes me maybe a little bit more optimistic, and this is again from afar, you obviously have your uh, your ear to the ground on all this stuff. But um, one thing that makes me optimistic a little bit about Utah's potential is absolutely no coaching turnover in the offseason. Um, it looks like, I'm looking at it right now, it looks like every single assistant coach was retained year to year. Um how significant do you see that being, especially, I know for Whittingham, he's had a lot of turnover on offense over the years, uh, getting Ludwood back for a second year, um, but in addition, just having basically everybody back in that staff.
3: It's absolutely huge, and you're, you're correct. N- nobody left, and there were coaches that had opportunities to go, and, and they decided that they wanted to stick around and, and, and see this out. It's, it's one of the strengths of this Utah program under Kyle Whittingham is he hires good coaches, guys that know how to teach, guys that know how to recruit really well to Utah's system and evaluate really well for Utah's system and some of the, uh, the challenges that they have in getting talent to Salt Lake City. And, and really, especially when you look at it and what's been happening this spring with so many young guys, especially on defense, that need to step up and, and, and really learn the system and, and get ready for to, to face the bullets of, of, of a Pac-12 season, we've seen a lot of instruction, more instruction than I've seen maybe ever uh, during a Utah spring practice. And so the fact that they've got the coaching staff back, that there, there's no new terminology, there's no new offensive installation, uh, there's, there's, there's no surprises in terms of, of what the personalities are and what the personnel looks like so that they can really get in and try to accelerate the learning curve for some of these young guys that are going to need to step up in a big way. I think it's absolutely huge that there's no new faces on that coaching staff.
1: Uh Dan, last thing for me, uh, I was reading one of your articles, uh, there's a uh, three guys um that were going to be out for the spring. I think a couple were disciplinary, uh, if maybe I mean are they are these going to be impact guys. I think there was a couple uh defensive ends, but wh- who who's out and uh, what does it mean for Utah this spring?
3: Yeah, so uh, it's it's been a little bit uh of a rough off season for the youths in terms of disciplinary things. There's been a couple of arrests and, and police investigations, which are never good. You never want to be in those former cup rankings. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, they uh, they've got, and they've got a couple of others in, in addition to, to, to the arrest. So uh, Dante Banton is, is a wide receiver that was going to be a backup guy that is suspended indefinitely. There's a police investigation that's, that's tied to him right now. Um, it's I, I'm not going to hold my breath on when we see his return. Sioni Lund is a linebacker, a tra- transfer from Stanford, so the Stanford fans will recognize that name. He is suspended indefinitely. They've not given a reason why. Um, he was a guy that was going to compete for a starting spot at linebacker. He got a lot of backup reps last year. Um, I, I don't know if he was going to be a lock at linebacker, but it is a young linebacker crew, and, and, and Utah could have used him. Uh, And so that's uh, an interesting development that that certainly doesn't help the Utes. And then uh, Max Tupai is is the other one, defensive end. He was a a backup the last couple of years, really uh, uh, kind of that hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end type. One of the more explosive pass rushers on that Utah defense. But he's more of a third down situational guy. And he's a guy that he's dealing with some personal issues. He's sitting out the spring we might see him back in the fall. They would welcome him back with open arms if he decides he wants to continue his uh, football career. But uh, I think it's more about him just uh, deciding whether he wants to hang him up or not and, and dealing with some some things on the personal end. And so uh, uh, Utah is being very supportive of, of him and that. And he's a guy that would have competed for a starting job, but wasn't necessarily necessarily a lock for it. So two of those guys on defense would have helped, but, uh, you know, it's at the same time it's 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 college football, right? You're always going to lose guys uh, to a roster, uh, do the something of that nature. So uh, they, they they just have to figure out how to uh, to move on and move forward without them.
0: Uh, and last thing from me, um, just looking at the year last year, we kind of threw this theory out um, while we were watching the games, but. Utah tended to dominate teams that had a comparable or only a little bit more talent than Utah. Um, And then but against USC, against Oregon, against Texas, there was a sense, at least from an observation angle, where it looked like just the sheer speed of Oregon, of Texas, of even USC to an extent, um, just kind of was a little too much for Utah on the field. And so we were all saying, well, Utah needs to upgrade its talent level first. Do you buy that? Like, does that sound like an explanation to you who actually watches the team every day? Um, And second, are you seeing that within the program, within this past recruiting class, that that talent level is upgrading?
3: Um, Yes and no, in terms of of whether I buy that argument. I I think that the biggest struggles that we saw with Utah when they faced those teams, the the Texases, the Oregons, the USC's of the world, was Utah's, I I, I think with, with, with that it proved that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And mm-hmm. last year, Utah's weak weakest link was the offensive line. And all three of those schools gave the offensive line fits in those games. Uh, and, and, and really you is, is you, you, saw the wheels come off uh, with the offensive line struggles and all three of those losses. And this is it, it, part of that was because the, the line was so young and untested. And, and, just unfortunate timing if they would have had that the line that we're expecting this year a season ago there's a good chance that you know at least two of those games that they lose aren't losses because the the, because of the talent and the development especially because you need reps to be a solid offensive line and so i i i think that it was more that i mean you you look at the skill position and the talent look they're they're going to have probably double-digit guys drafted this year so you can't really say that they didn't have talent on the roster i I just think that they didn't have talent consistently up and down through all of the position groups that would mask the weakest link on the team and in terms of bringing in new talent, i I do think that they're getting better i mean when when you look at this last signing day class a couple of really interesting things first of all it was a, a the first time utah's ever had a top 30 class. Uh, And and given how they develop talent and the reputation they have, that can only be a good thing. But the other thing is before this signing class, so you got the the, the All-American game in San Antonio. During the Kyle Whittingham era, he had only signed three All-Americans in the first 15 years of his coaching. And this last class, he signed three All-American participants in that game in this class alone. So the fact that he's starting to get those high caliber national recruits and beating major major name brand programs for them that is a recent development and i think that that's going to elevate the program now is it going to help the utes this year as they're trying to get over those growing pains probably not but next year and the following year this utah football team looks like they're going to be pretty tough as long as guys stay
1: healthy dan Sorensen does a great job covering the utes for us here on 24 7 sports UteZone.com. Follow him on Twitter at d Sorensen s o r e n s e n. You might know their coach Kyle Whittingham. He's the newcomer here in the in the, the pot in the Pac-12 landscape. Only his sixteenth season at head of the. I mean, that's crazy. Huh? Sixteen seasons there as a head coach. It's
3: nuts, and he's he's been at the U since the the early nineties as an assistant. So he's he's a fixture at this point.
1: Yeah, uh, crazy stuff. All right, well, Dan, thanks again for coming on.
3: Well, thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thanks, Dan. All right, David. Hey, great stuff from uh, from Dan. Are you are you convinced that Utah is going to – a big step back, small step back? Is this going to impact your preseason predictions for Utah? Where, where are you falling on this?
0: Um, no, I mean, I was already kind of downgrading them in my mind just from last year because they lost so much. Um, I still do think the, the coaching continuity will help. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think predicting them to win the Pac-12 South um again would be smart um I don't see that happening
1: yeah it's I mean I don't know I'm probably gonna pick USC but it could be Arizona State but you know it's just hard to rule out Utah because of they're so well coached but so much NFL talent on this team and like you said they didn't look good against the 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 uber talented team so something wasn't quite there
0: yeah yeah and I think um it probably won't be there again this year just because of the lack of experience at um, quarterback and running back, especially. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, they will—they they have to take a step back, um, simply from the secondary perspective. I, I do buy the ability to reload on the defensive line at Utah just because they've done that in the past. Um, but that secondary, I mean, it was so good last year and then to lose basically every starter from last year, you're going to be starting over and it's going to mean... Taking a step back. So I, I think, you know, give it another two years and they might be back on another upcycle.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see uh, what happens with the Utes. Another Pac-12 South team we got to talk about now. Let's look at Arizona. Okay, now we're gonna talk some. Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> with our buddy, our friend Jason Shear does a great job covering the Wildcats for Wildcat Authority right here on the 24-7 Sports. Network, you can follow him on Twitter at Jason Shear, S C H E E R. He's on the line. What's up, Jason? How are you? Doing well. How about you guys? Oh, living
0: our best lives. Um, just super excited about basketball, but here we are talking about spring football. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> I don't really we have know why. to. We don't talk we basketball do- on this show, David. You know that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but see, that was a policy we had, Ryan, when UCLA was bad and unwatchable <laughs> under Steve Alford. They now might get good again, so I'm going to have to start being more obnoxious on this show Oh, okay. and shoehorning UCLA basketball in. Anyway. More,
1: more obnoxious? Wow. that's I know.
0: Yeah. I know. We're talking a pretty bold thing. <laughs> anyway, we're talking to Jason, and that always gets me excited to talk about basketball. Um, but let's let's talk a little spring football. Um So Arizona in the offseason made a change. Well, they started making the change during the season uh, by firing Marcel Yates. Um, But then uh, pulled in Paul Rhodes, who was the UCLA defensive backs coach, is now their defensive coordinator. Um, Now that we're into spring ball a little bit, what have you seen and or heard of Rhodes um, so far as the D.C.?
2: We uh, we got to talk to Paul Rhodes the other day. He's a he's a what I'd call it, like a football dude. Like he is 100 percent football. Um, really fun to talk to. Gives you details. He's pretty open where things are. Uh, I think in terms of where he is now, he's come in and there he's installing his defense, and, and things are going to change quite a bit. They're going to the three four. Um, there's not a lot of depth there, which he basically has, has openly said, but. Um, Very hands-on. We got to watch uh, a few practices this week for the first part at least, and the whole defensive staff is really hands-on, more hands-on than uh, it's been under Sumlin teaching the the fundamental stuff. And I don't know how much they can improve in one year, Um, and it's hard to say how impressive the hire is without seeing them play, Um, but Rhodes is at least saying all the right things.
1: Yeah, so what have you seen so far that first week with the new 3-4 defenses? It seemed, is it going to take a little while to, for guys to get used to it? Do you think the, the personnel's there to run it? And have they responded well to uh, you know, what's Ro- what Rhodes is teaching them?
2: I, I think they've responded well. Rhodes said that there's some guys like Colin Schooler who pretty much have the 3-4 down, and then there's other guys um, where they're way behind. And, and so I, I think that um, they're still kind of learning the system. It's new to a lot of guys uh, overall, Arizona's defensive depth is, is bad. I mean, like I asked Paul Rhodes, my question is, how do you like your depth? And his response was literally, what depth are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, like they're going to play four linebackers. And I think right now um, it, it feels like they have like seven total. And so they don't even really have a, a strong two deep. But when you look at the defense, the best players that Arizona has are linebackers. It's Anthony Pandy, Schooler, Tony Field. So, It makes sense to go to the 3-4. I don't think they have the depth, um, but I don't think it matters what formation they were running. Just the defensive depth just, it isn't there. I mean, it wouldn't be there anyway. So they got to figure out a way to kind of move things around with the defense. But um, they seem to be excited. The defensive players we've talked to have nothing but positive things to say. They're, They're moving around. They've done some different drills, and the players are really reacting well to it. So... Um, it seems to be going well. Uh, they only took a, a week of practice, and now they're taking a week off for spring break. So um, when they come back, they'll be able to tackle and all that. So we'll probably have a better feel of where everything is.
0: Um, so looking at the defense last year, it looks like it finished um, 111th in the SP plus uh, defensive metric, which isn't good, obviously, as everyone out there knows. Um It sounds like, I mean, this might be a rebuilding job of the defense um, with the lack of depth and building a new kind of system around the 3-4. Do you get the sense Kevin Sumlin has enough time to do kind of a full rebuild on the defensive side? I mean, he might not just have another choice, but what is the temperature on Kevin Sumlin right now in Arizona?
2: I don't think he has enough time, but like you mentioned, he didn't really have a choice. I mean, at least he's able to sell something on the defense being retooled and, Hiring a new staff, but I think, you know, he people around the program thought that he was going to be fired last year, and for whatever whatever reason, probably financially, um, Arizona didn't do it. But if Arizona doesn't make a bowl this year, he's gone. Uh, you know, there's there's some word that there even it was like a preseason agreement saying, look, you, you have to make a bowl or we're moving on. Um, and, and so the pressure's on, and I think that um, he trusts Paul Rhodes to to come in and, and lay down some discipline that frankly wasn't there last season but um they're rebuilding the the defense and and paul rose came in late so he wasn't really able to recruit very much either they missed on some guys late in the cycle so it's going to be really difficult um to see how much this defense can improve but i think the goal is you know even if it improves a little the offense improves a little they can maybe get to six wins at a bowl and kind of go from there
1: um, going on the offensive side of the ball, I sent you an email a little earlier. Just you know, ask like a couple of questions about what your thoughts were. And when I asked you about the biggest losses, you said JJ Taylor, and didn't mention like Khalil Tate. So I don't know if there was something on purpose there, or just was it just he wasn't that impactful last year as he was. We saw you know a couple of years ago. Um, what do, what do you think about you know the 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 offensive losses and and who's going to replace those guys?
2: Yeah, I mean with Khalil Tate, I, I think that under Rich Rodriguez, Khalil Tate was a good quarterback. Under Noel Mazzoni, it just didn't make sense from the beginning. Um, Mazzoni had Khalil Tate doing things that, frankly, Khalil Tate's not capable of doing, and he's not great at reading defenses. It's more of a uh, almost, I, I don't want to say playground football, but, you know, it's, if nothing's there, you, you take off. And Mazzoni instead said, hey, if nothing's there, you make your reads, you stay in the pocket, etc." and it did not work. I, I mean, Arizona's offense with Khalil Tate, more often than not, last season was bad. And Greg Gannell moved the offense better at times. And, and even though, um, you know, Khalil Tate is a talented quarterback under Mazzoni, it just, it, it wasn't working. And, and so that's why I, I didn't think it's a big loss, because I think with Gannell, we'll see Mazzoni run an offense that Gannell can run with success. And that, in reality, Mazzoni wanted a run from the beginning with Gannell, but w- was kind of overruled. And um, in terms of J.J. Taylor, I, I think he's a loss because he's really good. Uh, there's depth at the position. They still have all the guys except for Taylor that they had last season. And they, they added Frank Brown and Jalen John to the, the better running backs. Uh, John's one of the better running backs in the West and, and Brown was the player of the year in Houston. So they'll have talent at running back. It's just a matter of whether or not those guys can put it together on the field because you knew what you were getting with JJ Taylor.
0: The, the rest of the offense, um, just because so much of, um, I know what Mazzoni did at UCLA was built around the running game and especially the offensive line. What, what does the offensive line look like um, year over year? Are they replacing a lot of guys? Is it going to be continuity? What does that look like?
2: Last year was tough. There were a lot of injuries. And I think someone said that they used uh, eight different variations of the offensive line throughout the season um, and started games with eight different variations, which is is really hard to do. Um, this season there should be more consistency. Um, they returned Donovan Lay, who, who's one of the better linemen in the conference, in my opinion. Uh, they returned Josh McCauley at center. They, they returned most of the offensive line. Um, it should be good, but again, it, it comes down to depth. There's not a lot there, so if a guy like McCauley gets hurt or Donovan Lay gets hurt, uh, they're in trouble. They, they added um, a couple of freshmen, Juco linemen, but I, I'm not sure how ready they'll be. So the starting unit should be solid. I don't have a lot of concerns about the starting unit. It, it's just a matter of if one of those guys goes down, um, they, there's a big drop off from the starting unit to the second unit.
1: Um, looking at the you know impact guys that could be that are newcomers, uh, we talked about transfer portal. We always talk about that a lot. Uh, Aaron uh, Blackwell coming in from New Mexico to help on the defensive line. And then Brendan Schooler coming down, the wide receiver from Oregon. Uh, what kind of impact do you think those guys are going to make uh, this spring?
2: Uh, Blackwell's a, a big, strong kid. He, he's recovering from a knee injury, so he's only been on the bike and doing some warm-up stuff. So we haven't seen him on the field. Uh, but he's the guy where they feel will give them depth and, and give them some much-needed size inside. Uh, Brendan schooler is a guy that they love. I mean, the offensive of coaches, the players, they're all speaking really highly of him. Um, he's one of the faster kids on the team. He he's got better size. And I think you realize until you kind of get a closer look at him and, and they don't have a, a playmaker at wide receiver. That's the guy that they were missing last year was a guy that could just go out and, and make big plays. And, and they feel that schooler is that guy. Um, so for the offense and for Gunnell, um, the expectation is that schoolers going to be a difference maker. I, I would expect Arizona to go out and get a couple more. They, they have uh, still have like five scholarships left. Um, I would expect them to go kind of add another guy in the defense, uh, maybe a linebacker and, and maybe an offensive lineman. And um, they're going to still try to hit the graduate portal because they need all the help they can get, but um, they're expecting big things from those two. I would, I would probably say the, the higher expectations are for a guy like Brendan schooler.
0: Um, Last thing from me, um, looking at the schedule, and you mentioned up top that you thought, you know, uh, Kevin Salmon making a bowl this year is going to be critical for his future. Maybe not completely dispositive, but critical. Um, How likely do you think that is, looking at the schedule? I mean, obviously, I know Arizona is extremely restrictive with what they let you see in spring, so it's more based on what you know about the roster. But looking at the schedule, is six and six out there for Arizona and what needs to happen for them to get there?
2: It's going to be difficult based on what they had last year and and the guys they lost and guys coming in the freshman class. There's no real major impact type of guy. Um, Basically if they're going to do it, they have to win all their out of conference games and and it's not going to be easy with BYU at Texas tech. And then the schedule is actually different and they have, uh, a game against Stanford and then another out-of-conference game. So they're going to have an early game uh, next season against Stanford that, to me, is, is similar to an out-of-conference game. They, they have to get off to a good start. They have a, a brutal stretch later in the season where it's just looking like they're going to lose four games in a row. It's like USC, Oregon, um, and a couple others. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it's brutal. That was the first thing I, I thought of when I saw the schedule. But um, it to me, just looking at where the improvement is in the roster now, I... I don't see a bowl team. Um, maybe they surprise me. Maybe Paul Rhodes does that good of a job. and makes that much of a difference. But overall, it's just that the depth lacks so much that they're just one injury away from being a really bad football team on the other side of the ball.
1: You talked about uh, Grant Gunnell and, uh, you know, Dave, what do you, what do you call him? Grant Gunnell? He's- Gunnell. Uh, Gunnell. Gunnell.
2: Gunnell. I like it, Gunnell. it better because
0: it's, it's, it, it hits it harder. It hits yeah. it harder. He's got a gun gunnel <laughs> and then somebody pointed out well there's also a gun in gunnel but right. no i don't believe that you don't like no you
1: like the harder gun and that i screws like the me harder up. gun yeah yeah I put no, a note.
0: no one no one in the world will be able to read it the same way after i went through my gunnel phase
1: <laughs> well you, you mentioned uh greg Gunnel. we talked it was i think a few years ago like maybe 2017 now, not the same. There wasn't the same kind of impact player, but like at Colorado, like a Sefa Lufau was like the established guy. And then you would see uh, Stephen Montez kind of come in and you're like, wow, that guy looks good. But Lufau was still the guy and they would get hurt and go back and forth. Now, Lufau never had the kind of season or at least four game stretch that we saw with Khalil Tate. But I think there's some similarities there. And then once, you know, Lufau was gone, I think you had this really high expectations for uh steven montez and then he sort of kind of dropped off after that but is it same sort of thing with grant cannell like that you know now it's just a clear sailing like it's his team he's going to be running the show there's no question about it and the expectations are high
2: yeah 100 i mean we we talked to uh, noel mazzoni the other day and someone said is there a possibility of beating a, a two quarterback system and before the question even finished he said no not happening this year no chance <laughs> And it it wasn't his decision, from what I understand, to play Tate at all. If it was up to him, Grant would have been the quarterback from, like, day one. But um, someone kept coming back to Khalil Tate and wanted to give him the chance. But there's no doubt that this is Grant's team, that that Grant is, is Noel Mazzoni's quarterback and Um, we're going to see what Mazzoni wants to do. I mean, Mazzoni's claiming he's going to throw to tight ends, which they didn't do at all. And the offense is going to look different, more involved with the running backs of the passing game. And it's kind of a, we'll believe it when we see it type of deal. Um, but he's saying all the right things and it is, it is very clear, um, that Grant Goodell is his guy.
1: Yeah. I'm curious to see how this turns out. Like you said, it just seems like Kevin Sumlin, you know, directly on the, on the hot seat. Um, I think it's an important spring, and we'll see what happens. Is it transfer portal wise? You talk about Blackwell and Schooler coming in. Has anyone left, or any significant names uh, left the program?
2: Not really. I mean, there's a couple of guys that that left. um Jake Peters was a tight end, and he retired from football. There's, uh, I would say that the only one that would be significant in any way was uh, offensive lineman Bryson Kane, who started a few games last year and was a rotation guy. Just kept getting injured and. Finally, in the offseason, actually a couple of weeks ago, he said, I'm done with football. I, I can't do this anymore. And so he would have been depth on the offensive line. But um, there was nobody really significant that left the team.
1: All right. Uh, Jason Shear, like I said, Wildcat Authority. Make sure to check it out. There might be some basketball stuff on there. It's not going to all be spring football. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to er- hope
0: so. you got to hope there's basketball stuff. I can't have everyone and everyone on that site talking about Arizona spring football. There's too much life to be lived.
2: All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're a football podcast. Hey, Arizona and USC could play each other in the tournament,
2: right? There we if go. It, it's possible.
1: If, yeah, if Arizona beats uh, Washington, then – Yeah,
2: beats, we'll see. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and Dave's exci- – See, Dave has not been excited about college football the whole time we are doing the podcast, and now UCLA's pretty good. He's like, now he's excited again, so.
0: <laughs> Look, man. Look, man. Make and era, It's happening. <laughs>
1: Mick Cronin's 0 for two against his old athletic director at USC. Is that weird? Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. All right. Well, Jason, thanks again for uh, coming on. We actually talked a little basketball, I guess. Uh, thank you for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Good stuff as always from our buddy Jason David. Are you? Is this just sort of like dead man walking at head coach? And there's it doesn't it's not going to matter what happens this year for Arizona football. It's just not going to be good.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, the way they the way they looked last year so awful, not adapting to their talent. Um, the way they coached Khalil Tate into one of the worst quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Um, I it, I don't know that that staff hasn't impressed me from the beginning. I think Noel Mazzoni has been ready to retire for about eight years already. Um, so I, I just I don't know. I, I don't really see it. They could surprise. I mean, um, I. I grant gunnell gunnell what do you want to call him what should we do Gunnell. Gunnell. i like gun (laughs) i like gunnell so much more can we please do gunnell
1: you okay well just you do gunnell and i'll do gunnell it's fine like grant gunnell
0: um you know maybe he completely blows up and i think he is a better fit um in mazzoni's system to uh, jason's point but yeah hard time seeing it defensively um they already didn't have a lot of bodies back and then combined with that there's trying to do a new scheme, um, i just having a hard time seeing it. Maybe it happens, but um, I think they're going to have another pretty bad year. And you can't even, like, Arizona is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a Pac-12 football power. But in today's world, you just can't have three bad seasons in a row. And I think they're looking down the barrel of another bad one.
1: Yeah, and it was, uh, we talked to Jason a little bit before we recorded, and, and they're only allowed to watch, 20 minutes of spring football, our buddy, Michael Lev, I remember he wrote about, you know, the lack of access and everything when, when, uh, Kevin Sullivan first got there and it's just, man, it's just, you feel like at this point, you got to try to get some people on your side, you know? I mean, and, and they just seem to be hunkering down and just keeping everything in house. And like, I, it's not been working the last couple of years. Like maybe just open things up and let people come watch and try to get people excited. Cause I just, I just don't see the excitement there right now.
0: Yeah, no, it's totally true. And um, I think this is something I've always kind of had an issue with, with coaches who are um, at or approaching the hot seat, um, on or approaching the hot seat, I should say. Uh, You could do so much for yourself by buying a little bit of goodwill from the fans, from the media surrounding the program, Uh, but it's just so much the trend these days for coaches to basically go into their own bunker and not communicate in any real way and not make anything open and just say no to everything. And it it's understandable on a psychological perspective, because every one of these people is like a sociopathic control freak. Um, Like every, almost every head coach is just like nobody you'd want to spend any time with. Um, But there's also, there's a simple reality to it that if you're just open with the media um look we're we're all bootlickers. Like if you're open and nice with us, we'll probably be like semi favorable to you. That's just the reality of it. People don't like being treated poorly. They like being treated well. Um so someone could, right now you're going to have people around the program saying what it actually is. It's bad and it's probably going to be bad again this year and that kind of narrative does nothing for you. Now if it was open and you were super great Maybe they'd be finding reasons for, you know, silver linings. That's just the reality of it. Um, and then the fans themselves, if they have the practice open where they can come watch, you know, the team and get excited about it, that that has like a meaningful impact on season ticket sales and all sorts of other stuff. So so many upsides to it, so few downsides, especially for spring. Um, so yeah, it's pure self-defeating nonsense from every coach who does it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh I just yeah, you could be nice to us, and they're probably gonna you know if if Kevin Sullivan was nice to Jason Shear and some of the other media people, they're probably gonna write nicer things. You know, they just probably will do that, and it's not like they're gonna ignore everything bad. They might bad, just but- not
0: write. They may they may not write. So and and, I, and I'm not like impugning any of these guys. I'm still gonna write the truth, but um, it might not. You know, it might be varnished a little bit. You know, it might be like just focus on some of the positive things because every program has some positive stuff and writing about those a little bit more. I don't yeah. know. There's all kinds of just simple realities. You're dealing with humans. Um, you know, and, if you treat you know, humans poorly, they're going to respond. Yeah. That's just
1: reality. And I think that all the humans that are fans of the Arizona right. program, they'd like to read more about it. They'd like to, you know, hear more about it and you keep closing things off. It's hard to get them excited. It's like, it's sort of like you're just taking that fan base for granted and with attendance being down everywhere, like you want to fire people up, um, you know, you have a captive market in Tucson, give them, you know, give them what they want. You know, if you, if you don't tell the the fans at Tuscaloosa about Alabama football, they're still going to care. It's not, it's not that way. Most other places. And especially in Tucson, you got, you know, open things up a little bit, Mr. Sumlin. coach Sumlin, open it up, get the fans excited again. And maybe that would help your cause, but I don't know, I guess we yeah. probably went on that too long, but. That's just one of my pet peeves about, uh, college football coaching. Absolutely, um, we can roll into the, the questions. We did get a text message message. Like I mentioned, um, the unsigned, but it says, Dave says, go with the Netflix slash Amazon model. And he's talking about for the PAC 12 network, uh, PAC 12 going forward, uh, when they have to redo their, um, television contracts. We talked about that last week. He says, well, that sounds like fun he ignores the question of what happens when you go to the sports bar to watch the game until you can sufficiently answer that question. I think you have to put the online only model on hold. What say you, Mr. Woods?
0: Um, I, sure that's a problem. I don't know how insurmountable. I mean, I don't know if sports bar viewing is really like a priority for this. I think it's more in-home viewing, but yeah, sure. That's a problem. I don't know. I, I I'm imagining most sports bars are, they upgrade their TVs pretty frequently, right?
1: I would think so. And it, I mean, they're getting smart TVs, right? If they got smart TVs, uh, you got Roku on there or whatever. They have all the apps. It
0: it would, I mean, there is like probably a meaningful percentage of sports bars that would lose coverage of the pac 12 games. But again, you're comparing it to the current PAC 12 network that, most sports bars don't have the Pac-12 network because most sports bars are using a direct TV package. Yeah. So I mean, uh, the reality is already that you're not getting the universal coverage that you'd like. So why not switch to something that might be willing to overpay you because they want to break into the market? And I'm just speculating. They might not, um, but you might be able to get more money. Um, and then you might be on a service that I, you could see that actually bringing in some new fans um, or younger fans who aren't buying cable anymore. Like most, I think it's the vast majority of young people, like people under 30 don't have cable packages anymore. Um, So I don't know. I could see some upsides to it for sure.
1: Yeah. It's, you have to look at what you have now, which is bad, right? It's just not good. And then what do you potentially have? I think, if the sports bars, the sports bars have the option of using those apps, and I don't know, maybe you can't stream a show uh, in a bar because of you know regulations or so. I'm not sure no, if there's something like they that. No, they don't give a shit. They, 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 okay. they really
0: don't.
1: No. Okay. Um, well, then yeah, I think there's some some opportunities to do that there, but it, it would be about getting a much bigger payday and not get at least not being worse as far as where the games could be seen because right now it's terrible it's really hard to find it at a bar um if it's still pretty hard to find it at a bar but you can get it more places and you get paid a lot more money then you could make, certainly make the argument for the Amazon or whatever model uh but that's you don't want to get worse it's hard to get worse right now of what you can see out in the sports bars but the big thing would be you'd have a much bigger pay today yeah
0: agreed all right you ready for Chris from Seoul yes need your opinion Hey, guys, your best offseason so far. I actually don't think so. We've been far too on topic. We got to hit some real deep, dark stuff here pretty Mm. soon. Anyway, uh, never fear. There's still time to revert to the norm. Wow, sick burn. Uh, So keep up the work. Uh, Scott Eklund of Dogman had an article ranking factors in recruits selecting a program. I know you two are not much into recruiting, (laughs) however, even a casual listener knows you are quite adept at discussing topics you know little about and haven't thought through before you speak. Uh, So please weigh in and set us straight on the top 10 factors for recruits. Eklund's top 10, uh, italicized brackets are my editorial comments. Uh, Relationships is number one. Two is location. Three is handler influence. Um... Four is parental influence. Um, Raising three kids informed me this must mean reverse psychology is his comment. Uh, Five, coaching and development. Six, direction of the program. Seven, coaching stability. Eight, playing time depth chart. Nine, other prospects, uh, meaning recruits selecting the program. And then 10, facilities. And then his not really important were current record, number 11. 12, academics. 13, post-football opportunities, which is alumni-based job opportunities. 14, tradition and prestige. Fifteen weather climate. Eklund being a husky, his opinion may be biased. And sixteen social life. Mm. Oh, I would disagree with a lot of the yeah.
1: not really important stuff. So, so Chris, first of all, um, we do cover. And we do. I mean, instead of going to the USC UCLA basketball game, I was at the Elite Eleven football camp filming sixteen-year-old no, 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 quarterbacks. Like, Chris,
0: that's... Chris, Chris might have. He does have a point. I don't care about recruiting. Um, <laughs> I only care when, it, like, it's like I only notice it when it's very bad. Otherwise, it's fine, um, and I don't care. But when it's very bad, that's when I I, I, I turn up my nose. And but I, the I,
1: this I show up. exists because we were at a recruiting event that you were covering. But that doesn't mean I enjoyed doing it.
0: Okay. <laughs> there, there is, like, something fundamentally, like, I don't, I do not want to have to ask a 16 year old or 17 year old anything, let alone like detailed questions about where they're going to college.
1: I don't care. Like, I just don't want to do it. All right. You don't well, want to do it. Don't talk about it. Like you want to do that. I'm not saying I, that's I, my favorite part, but I mean, there is something cool about talking to young players and then following them through their careers and seeing them, you know, ex- ex- excel in college and oh, go on I the NFL. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that, you know, you look back I'm, at some I'm in those it guys for the team. Like, there's, there's no I in team or you for that matter. What did Kobe say? There's no I in team, but there's a, <laughs> there's one. an M. E. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's some good, obviously there's some good points on this list, but for me, and we'll get your thoughts on this too, David, Chris from Seoul. It depends on which team and it depends on which player. So, Things are different. It's not like every player has the same top 10 list of what's important to them. Nobody's picking
0: Washington for the weather and climate.
1: Yeah, there's not like, but there's some players that will. And there's some players that just want to be close to home. I mean, relationship with coaches are important, but that could fall way further down, not to number one. No, no,
0: I want to be absolutely and abundantly clear. 100% of the time, no players are picking Washington for the weather or climate. (laughs) I want to be like, that's that's just a certain that's a certain thing in life that's axiomatic, not happening. So him rating that low makes sense for Washington. Um, there are guys who have come from the East Coast who go to who who visited USC and UCLA and they walk out of that visit and say, oh, I'm never leaving. Right. I, am, I am I am here for for the duration. Um, so, yes, uh, that that varies by the school.
1: Yeah, it depends on the school. It depends on the the play, you know, the, the the prospect. It's so I, I think this is not. It's different. It's unique for everybody. And sometimes it's not the parental influence. Sometimes you have two parents that are divorced and they're fighting over things, and the kid doesn't listen to either one of them. He listens to his coach. You know, like it's just well, there's if, so if many the parent, unique situations.
0: If the parent went to USC, parental influence is very high up there. If the parent went to UCLA, parental influence is number sixteenth on this list. <laughs> <laughs> it is that is, that is a truism. That's that's for my real UCLA recruiting heads out there.
1: There are a lot. I mean, there's a lot of players that like their parents grew up there, or, or sometimes you just grow up a fan of a program, you know, and for whatever reason. And that, but it's it's different for everybody, and you you just can't. I don't think you can make a real list like this and say this is applying for recruiting. Like that's that's just not. It's just not true.
0: I would say the number one here relationship with coaches, I would say not for every recruit. Cause some recruits are just going to go to a school for, because it's that school, but for like the recruits who actually have to be recruited, like the ones who, you know, you actually have to build a, you know, build a relationship with them and talk to them frequently by and large, that is going to be number one. That's why you see a lot of times if an assistant coach leaves code, the the kids have to be re-recruited because it was that assistant coach or that head coach or whatever that was recruiting them. So that's probably in your top two or three, no matter who you're talking about. Um, but the rest of this, it really does change by the recruit, so it doesn't really make sense to do this.
1: Yeah, but thanks, Chris, for that. It's the, there's no, yeah, there's no like formula just you know they put out there. I mean, we've seen coaches leave. I think when oh, I can't remember the recruit's name, like Pete Carroll left, and they and USC it, like so 2009 or 10 or whatever, well, 2009, and uh, they hadn't named a head coach yet, and it was like the Army All American Bowl. And, uh, there's like a four-star safety that committed to USC, like after Pete Carroll left. So like, that wasn't a relationship with the coaches. Now, maybe like an Ed Orgeron or someone that was on staff, or I've, I don't know, Ed Orgeron wasn't on staff at the time, but someone else was on staff. They worked with them. Um, you know, maybe that's the thing, but it, you know, there, it just changes for everybody and the situation's always different. Yeah. For sure. Uh, let's, let's go predictions. This is from Ryan, uh, assuming Miami underperforms again. And Mario Cristobal produces again. Does he go to Miami? Uh, With how he recruits to a place like Eugene, imagine what he could do in South Florida. So I guess we'll that point first. No, you don't think so. I think think long haul.
0: Yeah, I think he's building something in Oregon now, Um, and I think he's kind of excited about it. And the the thing is, Miami is now a a few cycles through of not being great. Um so I could see him looking at that job and I know Bruce has talked about it before but Miami is a sneaky difficult job. They don't have a ton of money is what I remember him writing about in the past. I don't know if that's changed with the TV contracts and stuff, but the like on campus commitment has been questioned at times. Um so I could see that maybe not being an attractive option for him. Obviously ties and everything, but he's building something at Oregon. I mean, they just want a Rose bowl. Um, I could see him thinking this is the place where he's going to, you know, go for the long haul. Um, and Oregon's not going to have trouble paying him um, because they've got so much Nike money and various other things that um, I think they'll be in pretty fine shape to retain him. And I just don't see him. They're able to recruit and he's pretty much dominating the West coast now and recruiting. I and mean, the Oregon and Washington are so, I could see him just saying why why mess up a good
1: thing. Yeah, it's weird because Miami's been down for a while and you kind of need Miami to get like better and then get rid of, you know, and, and try to find a new coach or you know, I I don't know, like you it's you need Miami to get better, but you also need the coach gone. So I think that's a tough situation where right now it just looks like Oregon's in a better spot than Miami. Um, so I, I kind of would agree with you on this one, but who knows the weirder things have happened. Um, Kevin, someone seems like he should be gone. Does Arizona really even care? Uh, and is What's your hot take prediction on who will be. Oh, well, so let's talk about someone first. I guess we already did. Um, I
0: think they'd be excited. I think most fans would be excited.
1: If he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think you can kind of fire up the fan base by doing something like that. And what's your hot take prediction on who will be gone? Helton is not a hot take, so he don't count none. Uh, and then P.S. God bless you, Hitler Day, for listening to all episodes or taking notes regarding forecasts from a year ago. That's really something.
0: It, it, I don't know. Is Chip Kelly a hot take?
1: Chip Kelly would be a, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, sure.
0: That's not a hot take, though. That seems like it's one of like three predictable ones.
1: Yeah. So Helton, Sumlin, Kelly, all Pactwell South schools. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to see anything from Herm like there. You know, it would have to be a really awful season for something like that to happen. But I, I don't I think that he's going to be there for a little while.
0: No, I don't think Herm's in any danger. Um, no.
1: Whittingham. No danger. No. Um,
0: uh, Carl Drell. not in any danger. Um, yeah, he just
1: got there. So that's the shot. would be mean, a hot take. That'd be a hot take. But RJ is like he's got a, basically like a lifetime contract. Like they would never get rid of him. Yeah. Like. That's what he was saying. Nobody um,
0: else is in any danger, so that yeah, the, that would be Wilcox, the one weird one.
1: Yeah, nobody, no, no one else I can think of that would be. Yeah. Um, all the Pac-12 South, all the turmoil down there.
0: Yeah. And we got one more. Are you gonna finish reading this one, or are you just gonna I'll, hang around?
1: No, I did, thought I did. Did you read the hippoday part? The P.S. Yeah, yeah, I did the P.S. I said huh. that's really something. I was uh, just, to, I was so way, focused on the question. Way to pay attention, Dave. Whatever, Ryan. Speaking of Hippoday, though.
0: Oh, some Latin phrase. Uh, virtus semper viridus. I'm going to throw that into the old Google here. Uh, virtus semper
1: I Excellence.
0: No it. Excellence is always flourishing.
3: Oh,
0: okay. All right. Cool. Nice Except little Latin motto.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, last week, the best Chris Cartman could say of ASU's offensive line was that they might not take a step back. Considering their 2019 performance, this was already a low bar. They started eight different guys over the course of last year, and they're probably losing six of them. Cartman said they're going to fill those holes with two transfers and a prayer for a sixth year for a guy who's missed the better part of two seasons with injuries. To me, that spells a precarious lack of depth and is an indictment of Herm Edwards' roster management going into his third year in Tempe. What do you think? Yeah, not great. Um, Some of it's been uh, weird circumstances. I know Zach Robertson was gone for some personal reason and is now gone from the program, I believe um before last year and i know he was considered to be like kind of a mainstay and would have allowed those freshmen to um you know have a little bit more time to get ready um but i don't know i don't know enough about their full recruiting situation from the last three years but certainly ending up with a situation where you have to immediately play transfers um and you know count on a guy getting a sixth year back isn't ideal um but we'll see how it shakes out i mean It certainly wasn't, you know, something that prevented them from getting eight wins last year. And so if it is comparable and Jaden Daniels takes a step up, you know, it might be good enough still for them to win the South.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think, you know, it's the third year. It's I I don't know how much I mean, there's roster management that happens, but sometimes not everything is like your fault. Um, And I think it was like unless you're Chip Kelly at UCLA. Yeah, then you've, you've done some really poor. You've made some poor decisions. I think by the time you're around five or six, then, you know, those are your, a lot of times you're making plans for your recruiting classes, you know, to go years out. So he hasn't had that opportunity yet because it's only, you know, going into your third year. So I, I, I don't think it's all like Herm Edwards roster management of what would be going wrong there.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, and then he has a a break, a line break, because um, emails need more line breaks. Um <laughs> On the one hand, I think R.J. Abadia was right that Stanford's actual losses to the transfer portal have been overstated. Of the 16 guys who got into it, one, not a couple, was a walk-on. Three elected to come back, and five were buried on the depth chart. But on the other hand, I thought you boys let them off the hook in three ways. Wow, That's... how do you let somebody off the hook in we're three different ways? We're just talking I think we're... you just like if they're on the hook, you just release them from the hook. That's one way, right? <sighs> Like, it's not like we then inserted him back onto the hook and then moved him off again.
1: You know? We're, as David, we're talking about Stanford Spring football. It's not like we're he's not on trial. He like we like, uh,
0: three different techniques? Like, what are we talking about here? Was it hard to get him off the hook? I, I, I've got a lot of questions. Anyway, first, the seven guys who did leave through the portal are more significant than just two D-line starters. It's also a starting cornerback and three experienced offensive linemen from a unit that desperately needs depth. Aren't this going to have a real impact? And did you really buy that Davis Mills pushed KJ Costello out? I'm on the record, Hitler Day, as not buying any, literally anything I'm hearing about the transfer portal. Um so with Stanford, because obviously it's all very strange. But the KJ Costello one, I almost do buy it. because if you watched the team last year, it was obvious to basically any observer that the the offense looked better with Davis Mills in there. Yeah. Um, during that stretch when KJ Costello was hurt mid-season, so looking at that, you could see the coaches probably making the same calculation. So that one I actually buy. It's the other stuff, all of the other transfers, where I'm like, wow, this this strikes me as bizarre. But the, the Costello one, I thought that one made sense.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, we talked about the defensive line starters having you know depth issues for the offensive line, losing some guys there. I mean, I think that I think that's significant. You know, it it could have a real impact. Um, but you know what? I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, he's not on trial. We're not going to like pull his feet to the fire. RJ, say how bad it's going to be. This is awful. Um, you can explain some of the stuff away, but we'll have to wait and see. They did, you know, the weird part was there was a really good recruiting class put together, but then on the other side, you get a bunch of guys transferring out. So I don't know. The guys get tired by the end of their careers. Uh, I know he's going to talk about the, uh, you know, the graduate trans, you know, the graduate, you know, program situation you know maybe that's part of it too but um yeah i mean it i think it's gonna have a real impact but stanford was bad last year i mean they, they're gonna need some kind of a jump start to get going on this season or, or they're gonna be bad again in 2020 yeah uh
0: second this cock and bull story about stanford's graduate admissions department can't possibly be squared with the cardinal continuing to be a power five program agreed Uh, If the grad school really has gone rogue and is denying football players a fifth year for the first time in their history, that means they can't redshirt anymore, which would be catastrophic. How is that a better answer for the half dozen Stanford fans than the typical reason a bunch of starters bail on a program? Exactly. And this is why I was kind of heavily implying in that whole thing that Shaw is basically fully checked out. Um, Something's going weird in that program. um, And I think we're going to get to it in your third point. But the Shannon Turley departure never really explained. Um, just had their worst season in forever. David Shaw is seemingly pretty checked out of the whole endeavor. Um, The combination of that, I I could see that being part of the reason that a lot of players are leaving the program.
1: The one thing I don't get about that is, you know, I, I, I graduated in four years, but I wasn't playing football. Yeah. These guys take summer classes and everything. They could take a little bit longer to graduate. Can't they? I mean, can't or do a double major or something or add a minor? Like, I feel like you could still continue to take classes and not worry about, I need to get into one of these graduate programs. Uh, isn't that, couldn't that I, don't, I
0: honestly don't know, because the thing is, they all have to take summer too. Um, and I, I know at UCLA, I, or I, I, I can't say I know, I, I, I have a memory, a vestigial memory, um, that there was a max number of units you could get. Like, if you couldn't go above a certain number of units because you just need to get the hell out of school, um, that might be playing into it for football. Um, Because if you're taking classes over the summer and you're taking classes throughout the year, and I think there's a minimum load you have to take to be on the team, right? Right. So if you're doing that for five years, you're going to be graduating something. Like, you're going to have some sort of degree. Um, Yeah, so, I, I
1: guess if you're Stanford, I mean, I know there's some players that will graduate in three years because they do take those extra units, and then they'd have that option to be a grad transfer. If you just want, to, hey, I'd rather stay at Stanford, then don't take it, you know, take the minimum. We, you know? we, we,
0: shouldn't, we shouldn't engage with this as if it's a real thing. It's absolute nonsense. To okay. Hitler's point, the, the, this would mean that they that either the grad pr- program has gone completely rogue, and that means every single grad program at Stanford has gone completely rogue, or this is absolute crap and nonsense. Or it's always been this, case, this way, and now Stanford's just choosing, their players are just choosing that they don't want to go grad. They don't want to even start a graduate program at Stanford. They want to go try their luck somewhere else. I don't know. I think it's more that the program is clearly on the downturn. Something's going on with the coaching staff. It's not a great situation the way it used to be. And guys are choosing to go somewhere else to see if they can get showcased. That's what I think. All right. All right. And then third, while Abadia promised an answer to David's question about Shannon Turley, Ryan, in his evergreen enthusiasm for spring ball, let him flee the scene without saying a word. How have we never gotten a straight answer about why a national strength and conditioning coach of the year who was promoted to sports performance director in charge of all 36 varsity teams could be summarily fired with zero explanation given – nor why, immediately thereafter, Stanford had an insane run of injuries that they've somehow avoided during his entire tenure. Why has every California writer decided this isn't worth investigating? Um,
1: we're, throwing, we're not, down, the,
0: throwing down the gauntlet for John Wilner right there. That's what he's doing.
1: Oh. Uh, that, that's what that last line was. We're, this is not an investigative podcast um the question was brought up i could by see
0: i could see how you he would be confused about that having <laughs> listened to oh yes every episode at least two or three times
1: <laughs> like th- it was brought up like i didn't need you know if he if he's like what did he say david I'll, i'm gonna check on that or something and
0: no 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 he said okay i have, I have two answers for you um I'm going to start with X, which was about, I think, David Shaw or whatever. And then he never got to Y. And you would ask him some question, probably like, so um, how many days do you guys practice every week? Or something like that, like one of your like logistics questions. And he moved on.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well. Um, so, Hitler what... has
0: it right. Hiflade has it right. Your evergreen enthusiasm for First spring all, you, have,
1: you have no idea what happened. You just make it. <laughs> because
0: you do not remember <laughs> this is a clear and accurate uh portrayal
1: of events um,
0: i have full recollection of every moment
1: um and every word that was said we know that is so not true um we, you know we could uh email rj and get you some more answers hit the day if you want but this is not you know uh, a few good men we're not trying to like put a guy on a stand and get him to say something and you can't handle the truth and all that like i uh, do you get that, David? Like sometimes fans are like, you got to ask tougher questions. It's like, yes, the, if I ask much tougher questions and, and piss them off and then they never want to talk to me again, that will fix the football program. That is like, no, like, you know, we you got to ask the, you know, hard questions, but you don't have, need to, you know, you, the guy's not on trial. He doesn't have to answer everything you're saying. So I sometimes fans think that it's like our job to fix things and by fixing things, we can get in there and, force them to say things that the fans want to hear. It just, it just doesn't work that way.
0: There's a, there's a fundamental, so I think, um, well, this is actually a larger point. Our media is fundamentally broken in this country. And I think people have a lot of frustration with that generally, um, that so much of it is access journalism. Ours literally is access journalism we have to have access for recruiting purposes, like to a large extent, we need to have relationships with the coaches that we cover. And so you'll notice we don't necessarily pull punches. Like Ryan has, I think, I think every week for the last, I don't know, four years has called for Clay Helton to be fired every single week on Fridays just says I need Clay Helton fired. But (laughs) it does mean you have to have a relationship with these people. So you can't just like sit there at a press conference and say, Hey, why do you suck in your job so much? Like these, <laughs> these areas where you suck, like why, why so bad? Why, why do you suck so hard? Like if, 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 if you could explain that to us, that'd be great. Cause you're sucking really bad. Like that's not going to help anybody. It's not going to get you a good answer. It's not going to build a better relationship and for our purposes, it's not going to get us any good info that we need to actually service you on your like weird, you know, desire to know where a 16 year old is going to go to school. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for it. Now, on a broader scale, that sort of thing has ruined journalism at all levels, um, particularly political journalism, which is an important area of journalism, because everybody's trying to get access to people so they don't cover them honestly. Um, sports journalism, you kind of have to thread the needle a little bit, particularly if you're trying to do recruiting coverage, because it's one of the main things, one of the main, and I don't know if it's a violation for any of them, whatever. Uh, but one of the main sources is oftentimes staffs of different schools. So you need to hear from them. You need to know when they're going to visit kids. And so if you're going to have those kind of relationships, you can't say, Hey, your defensive backs suck. Why do they suck so much? It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work well.
1: No. All right. Well, hey, great stuff. Um, I think it was a really good show. We got uh, we got all our spring football talk in for Utah and Arizona. Dave loved it. Loved every minute of it. Every it every riveting second. Yeah, uh, it's good. And yeah, I, now I agree with you on all those those points like it is. We do rely on that access, um, but you you still have to. I mean, I still ask hard questions, you know, like you, you thread the needle because you have to because. Look,
0: and I know certain sites, they'll have essentially like a good cap, cop, bad cop system, which I think works fine. Um, but also you just have to what I what I kind of term it as is just intellectual honesty. Like, don't don't call something something that it isn't like, don't don't lie about stuff. But you don't need to be a jerk. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't behoove anybody to just be a jerk. Um and that's on both ends, but from the media to the coaches or whatever, either like you don't need to sit there in a press conference and like show a guy up. Now, sometimes a question needs to be asked, like, hey, why did you stop running this wildly effective offense that you ran for four years to great success and had a forty six and seven record? Um, just for an example, um, sometimes that question needs to be asked. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to sit there and say, hey, um, this offense you're running sucks. It sucks real bad. Could you not do this anymore and do something better? And I know you think it's good, but it's actually horrible. Um, cause that doesn't do anything for you.
1: No, that's unprofessional also. But, and, but if you do ask the question and then they keep bringing it up, like, why is he running the offense? like, well, we asked them and they, well, you got to press them on it. Like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> like we asked them about why he's not running the, the blur anymore. And, he gave us his answer. It'll be some for stock example. thing or whatever.
0: That was for example, Ryan, you know, right. just talking about hypotheticals.
1: Right. But the, that's what, and we get this a lot with the Clay Helton stuff. Is like, look, we've asked them that we go to the thing, you ask them a question. You can't keep go, like, no, we need a better answer than that. It's just, it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And you, you put it out there, you give them an opportunity to answer. They're not going to say anything they don't want to say. You know, um, it's not like that movie. It's not, you know, a few good men. And you're on trial. Like these aren't trials. These are press conferences.
0: And it would be, it would be one thing. So uh, also we don't protect, um, we don't protect journalists in any kind of um, legal or um, school wide frameworks. Um, So the unfortunate thing is that these coaches are not obligated to talk to the media. The players are not obligated to talk to the media. So there is an element where if you're enough of a jerk, If you're enough of a dick, they'll stop letting you talk to people and then you lose any access. Uh, If we had protections in place for these sorts of things, meaning like there were school wide policies that, yes, the head coach has to talk to the media of every outlet that has a credential X number of times every week or whatever it was, that would free people up a little bit more. Um, But there's been so much restriction of access over and over and over again, increasingly so at most schools. I know USC is still pretty good, but most other schools, there's been increasing restrictions of access. There's a real there's a real perceived threat there that the access will only get worse if, you know, the coverage is not if the coverage is, is, uh, you know, too shitty.
1: Yeah. All right. Well let's, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up, uh, at that with that. Um, thanks for all the questions. Thanks to, uh, Dan and Jason for coming on the show. And, uh, David, thanks to you. Thank you for being such a big part of this. You know, you're, just you're, you're just a huge part of the show.
0: Ryan, thank you for your, uh, unabashed enthusiasm for spring. It's, uh, one of my favorite qualities about you. It's one of my favorite, my favorite things.
1: You're going to go drink beer. I got to go edit the show for an hour. So that's just how this works. You know, it's great. (laughs) It won't take me that long, but, um, (laughs) but probably true. Are you going to go have a beer? No,
0: God, no, God, no. Uh, It's nine 36. My time. I'm going to go to sleep.
1: Oh, the kids in bed. Oh yeah. Okay. Sweet. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning into the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time. Bye.